last week I talked, uh, we did the first uh, chapter of Titus, and um, if you weren't here, um, Titus was written in about 64 AD, written by Paul uh, to his young protege, Titus, who he had sent to start a church in the island of Crete, and uh, Crete uh, being, being an island there in the Mediterranean Sea, and he had his hands full there on that island, and so this letter, Paul is writing him, and he's encouraging him to stand and to stay in the faith. Now, the theme of Titus is this, good works, good works. Now, the, the chapter before, or the book before this is, was written to Timothy, which is another protege of Paul, young protege, and he is in Ephesus, and he's dealing with a lot of turmoil um, there and a lot of spiritual warfare uh, there and the theme of that book is is sound doctrine, and uh, so when he goes to Titus, he's talking about good works. And so, uh, if you if you need a heading, if you're taking notes and you want a heading, uh, the second chapter it starts with this simple this simple subject is teach sound doctrine. I know you're thinking, well, you said Timothy was about doctrine and and Titus was about good works, but I'll get I'll get to it. So. Uh, chapter 2, verse 1 says this, um, but, but as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine, with sound doctrine. But as for you, talking about Titus, teach what accords with sound doctrine, um, church doctrine. And, and you can, uh, I just quickly look this up, is a set of beliefs by an organization that is the best way to do things. If you go to our website, um, you can look up our church or most churches, and there is a set of doctrinal beliefs that they that they have listed on that website. And uh, these are the things that help guide us, they help organize us, and they help um, keep us moving the mission of Jesus Christ forward. And uh, in our church, uh, you know, you could say this, those, those doctrines, they are our source, they're kind of like our our manual or uh, the directions, anybody buy something and, and put it together without the directions like me? Anybody ever had to take something apart because you didn't miss something like me? All right. Uh, uh, but they are, they are, are uh, they, this, when we look at these, the, the Bible is where we pull our doctrines and what we believe from in the scripture. We don't do it from uh, our feelings or what another man said, but we do it by what the word of God says. And so, um, it's kind of interesting. I would think Paul uh, would now give this this big list of defining sound doctrine through um, pneumatology, which is the study of the Holy Spirit, or uh, eschatology, which is the st the study of the judgment on humanity or the end times. You know, a lot of people get stuck on eschatology, and I'll tell you this about eschatology: if your eschatology magnifies the Antichrist more than Jesus Christ. You need to check your eschatology because Jesus Christ is superior to the Antichrist. And if you're more worried about the Antichrist than Jesus Christ, you got it out of order. And, and the last one is uh, soteriology, which is the study of salvation. And you would think that uh, in those things, and those are all things that you learn in, uh, uh, I, I like to call it cemetery or seminary. Uh, if you're learning uh, to be a pastor, and most pastors will be like, I agree with that statement. Um, unfortunately, uh, but a lot of ministers, they, and I would think Paul would, 
would lead with those type of things. But it's kind of interesting to me, his take here when he's talking to Titus. Now, remember, Titus is starting, uh, this church has started most likely uh, a group of people from the day of Pentecost were saved and went back to Crete because they are mentioned there on the day of Pentecost. Um, they were, there was those from Crete, went back and started this church. So this is not a church that Paul had necessarily started, but he saw a need there and sent Titus there. Titus is young in the ministry, and he doesn't, you know, he's, he's working on getting, his, getting the structure down. How many know we need structure? Talked about it last week. We need structure. And so he's working on, a, on, a, on the structure. So, and I think Paul is, is here, and he's talking about sound, sound doctrine. And you may say, hey, wait a minute, TJ. You remember I, I talked about that last week, that Timothy was about the theme of, uh, the theme of sound doctrine, and this is about works. And, um, and I will say this. Where there is sound doctrine, you'll have good works. And so I think Paul right here uh, is, is just, he's just, he's just, he's kind of just hammering at home. Right behavior, right motives, right spiritual application in our lives. Let me tell you something. When we have the right doctrine, we'll have those things. We'll have good behaviors. We'll have the right attitude. How many have ever had a bad attitude? How many have had a bad attitude today? All right. Um, but we, there's been times, but when we, when we have proper doctrine in our lives, what the scripture says, those things fall into place when we begin to live by those things. And so, uh, Paul goes through a list of things that, that you could say, hey, this is either doctrine or this is the result of good doctrine. And you say, hey, which one is it, TJ? My answer is yes. I think it's both. I think it's both. I think there's a little bit of both. I think that when you follow the doctrine of what the scripture says, these things will come out of your life. And I also think that if you apply these things, I think they are good doctrine. So um, so I, I want to just kind of get us going here. The Lord is is not interested in us becoming people who have theories of theology. There's a lot of people that's like, well, I, I, I believe this about the Bible. And, and there's a lot of people that will focus, focus on those differences and want to argue about uh, theories of theology, but he wants, this is what the Lord wants. When we look at scripture, he wants us to understand the word of God to be translated through our lives in a practical way. It's one thing to have a lot of head knowledge, but it's another thing to apply it to your life and walk it out. And, and that's what the Lord, so Titus, Titus, uh, and he's saying this, Paul's saying this, Titus, here's some sound doctrine for you. So, so what I want you to do, I want you to look at your neighbor and say, buckle up. All right, might get a little bumpy here. We might hit a little turbulence here. Hey, don't get mad at me. I'm just the messenger. All right, don't get mad at me. I'm just the messenger. So it, it starts with this, and, he, and Paul deals with, with a couple groups of people here, and he starts with this. Older men uh, are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, in love, and in steadfastness. So uh, older men, how do you define an old man? Define an old man. See, I, I, I saw this. I've learned that, and, and Andy Rooney said this. I've learned in life that life is like a roll of toilet paper. The closer it gets to the end, the faster it goes. And what about that? George Burns said this. When I was a boy, the Dead Sea was only sick. <laughs> That's when you know you're pretty old, right? Uh, George Burns also said this. If flowers scare you, you know you're getting old. That's a funny one. Yeah, I like that one. And Bob Hope would say this, you know you're getting old when the candles cost more than the cake did. Um, so, uh, so 
Here, it's talking about older men, and, it, and most likely it's referring to people that are above 50 or, or a little, have a little bit of, let's just call them maturity, right? Um, uh, you know, you're only as old as you act, right? So, uh, but uh, here he is, it's talking to people, and, uh, and, and the, the whole theme of this is to the older generation is this, and this is what Paul's saying to Titus to tell them. Be an example to the younger generation. Be an example to the younger generation. Let me tell you something. If you're, if you're in that, that bracket, the younger generation is watching you, watching how you respond, watching how you react, watching all these things. And so I think it's important. So he says this, older men be sober-minded. And um, basically old, old men shouldn't be caught up in silliness or uh, the frivolity or the lack of seriousness at times. I'm not saying you got to be just a stick in the mud, but oftentimes you got to grow up at some point, right? How many made some stupid decisions when you were 20, 18, 19, 20, 21, 22, 23, 24? Sound like a, an auctioneer, right? Uh, uh, but but he's saying this: you you have to grow in the faith. There's a point where you've got to just get serious in your faith about the Lord. And we often think of when we hear the word sober relating to alcohol or controlled substances. And I think it, I think it can be true or it can be, can be brought in that light. But we have to understand this. It's really the real meaning behind that word sober is rendered to be wise. There's a lot of smart people that are not wise. There's a difference between being, in, uh, being smart and being wise. Right? And, and so... And this is what we need to understand when, uh, when we think about that, like oftentimes some people don't think clearly because of, uh, or they're in a state of confusion. Not, it's not always based off of uh, maybe uh, an intoxicant or something like that. It can also be based on something that you're going through in your life. I'll give you an example. If you've, has anyone ever had someone close to you pass away? And when you have to, when they pass away and you have to, uh, get in the nitty-gritty and plan a funeral and go through all these things. Oftentimes, there's a lot of confusion in your mind because you're having to do things. And, and, and the scripture here is just saying this. And oftentimes in our lives, we make decisions that are unwise, okay? Oftentimes, we make decisions in our life that are unwise, and they make us cloudy in our thinking, and we're not sober-minded. Um, so, and, and oftentimes it can be a trauma or a major issue in our life that can cloud our thinking and make us make unwise decisions. Uh, look at your neighbor and say, be wise. Be wise. Proverbs 9.10 says, the fear of the Lord is the foundation of wisdom. You want to start? You want to start where wisdom starts? It starts with the fear of the Lord. The reverence to the Lord. Knowing who he is. Knowledge of the Holy One results in good judgment. When you know who God is, when you're walking in his wisdom and you're walking in reverence to the Lord, you're going to make some good decisions. All right. Thank you for that one amen. All right. So look at this. The second part of this, it says dignified and self-controlled. The King James Version says uh, to be grave instead of dignified. I don't know if it's just because it's old. Old people, to be grave, you're closer to the grave. I don't know. Um, but it says uh, to be grave instead of dignified. And that doesn't mean that we don't know how to take, uh, to ha don't know how to have a good time or, or, you know, kick back and laugh or anything like that. It's not what that means. It just means don't take life lightly. 
Because I think, I think this is what happens. When we're younger, we think we're invincible, right? We think there's nothing that is ever going to take us out, ever going to mess us up. But when you get a little bit older, someone said this this week, when you get a little bit older, you start to understand the older you get, the more that you realize you don't know. I'm learning that one. I look back, uh, you know, I used to think, oh, my parents don't know anything. And now I look at my parents and I said, you guys know a lot. You guys were good. Uh, and here's the thing. Don't take life lightly. Here's, here's what, what he's saying. You got to live your life for eternity and see the big picture. Oftentimes when we, when we take life lightly, we're looking at the small picture and not the big picture. You know, eternity, man, we can't even fathom eternity. You know how long eternity is? We can't even wrap our head around what eternity is. And the big picture, so, so we got to do that. Don't live lightly. The next portion says be, being self-controlled or having meekness. And I like this. And, and a lot of people think meekness is weakness, but meekness is strength under control. That's what it is. It's strength under control. Um, I, used to, I used to play football. I know that's hard to believe. I was one of the biggest guys on the team. No, I wasn't. I was probably one of the smallest guys and fastest guy, one of the fastest guys. I don't know. That's uh, because I was scared. But I played football in high school, and uh, there were some athletes who were a lot stronger than me on that football team. And I remember sometimes getting a little horsey with some of those guys that I thought, I, you know, but I realized that they had this thing. They had this meekness. They, were, they had their strength under control. And sometimes I'd go full bore at them, and then they would just outmaneuver me, outsmart me, outathlete me, and use that little strength and meekness and just say, hey, I'm just going to remind you, I'm strong. You may think you may think you can take me out, but you need to understand this. And, and, and the same goes for us spiritually. We should walk in meekness. And you know who walked in meekness better than anybody? Jesus Christ. Do you know Jesus Christ was the Son of God? You know, he could have put everyone in their place at any given moment. Strength under control. And, and, so, and so Paul is saying this, hey, to the, to the older men, hey, be strength under control. Don't just fly off the handle. Oh, Lord, help us there, right? And, and Jesus, our great example, he was the essence of strength under control. And so... Um, but respond, don't just fly off the handle, but respond in a way that will build up and make a difference. I don't know about you. As a dad, I'm learning that. Sometimes my response is not the right response. I may think I'm right. But sometimes I need to work that strength and meekness under control. And so and my wife helps me out with that every day. All right. So next portion of scripture says this, sound in faith in love and steadfastness. So faith is the building blocks of what we believe, right? Hebrews 11.6 says it's impossible to please God without faith. It's by faith that we're saved, Ephesians 2.8 says. And so those, we understand that. So um, to any, uh, any of the older men, you got to have faith. Everyone say you got to have faith and don't sing the George Michael song. Some of you, I saw it. I saw it working up in your head. Some of you are like, who's George Michael, right? All right. Um, uh, but, but you got to have faith. And here's the second thing, you gotta have, you got to have love. Everyone say love. 1 John 4, 7 says that God is love. Faith, 
and love. Love is from God. It is who he is. It is who he is. If it's, and here's the thing, oftentimes, if it's not from God, if we can look at something and say, man, that just doesn't feel right, it's probably a counterfeit love. No one likes counterfeit, right? Man, I don't know about you. I, you know, I'm not as bad as I used to be. Man, but some cereals, you just got to buy the name brand cereal. The knockoff just ain't right. You say, oh, it tastes the same. Yeah, it tastes the same because you're worried about your pocketbook, but they don't taste the same. I used to tell my mom and dad that all the time. Well, I didn't say that to them. I thought it. I didn't say it. So I knew better than that. Um, but the scripture says, you know, that we should do everything in love. The next one is steadfastness, and I like this. Um, in an ever-changing world, be strong in the, in the word of God. Be so strong in the word of God that you're steadfast. No matter how, how much turbulence and how much wind is going, your feet are grounded and the wind can come at you in all directions, and you're so grounded. Let me tell you something. Mature men, older people, it's generations watching how you are responding right now in this world. And we've got to be the people of God that nothing can shake or break you because you know that your faith is in God, that he loves you, and that translates to love for others. And it allows you to remain steadfast in rough times. So verse 3 says this. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in behavior. I know better than to call anyone, any woman older. And I know better than to ask any lady their her age. One time I asked a lady her age, and we were in the South, and she said, you don't ask a lady her age. I learned my lesson. I will not do that again. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in behavior. Sound doctrine for older women is that they exhibit holy, whole lives or together lives. What do you mean by that? Well, the King James Version says uh, holy in place of reverent. It means to be, holy means to be set apart. means to be different. And did you know that God has called the church and his people to be set apart from the world? We are to be in this world, but not of this world. We're pilgrims passing from this life to the next life. And I think sometimes we forget that this life that we live is a very short time compared to the eternity that we're going to be in, in heaven or hell. So in other words, don't act like the world. Be set apart. Live above reproach. Do what is noble, what is right in the eyes of God. How many want to do what's right in the eyes of God? I do. Uh, Sunday I mentioned this. I, I said chameleons. Um, I talked about chameleons, and, and too many Christians are like chameleons. They, they come into church, and they look like a Christian. Then they leave church, and they go somewhere on Friday night, and they look like the world. God's not called you to be a chameleon. God's called you to be set apart. And so uh, it says this. The next portion of Scripture says this. All right, everyone buckle up. Woo. Don't kill the messenger. Not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good. So I want to focus on this first part of that. Slanderers here is the same word that the Bible uses in Revelation 12.10, which talks about Satan accusing us. 
on uh, accusing us day and night. And here's what I know about slander. Boy, it creeps in our life so easily. And if we aren't careful, we'll be slandering somebody. Well, what do you mean by, by that? Uh, well, how about this? Um, it, you know, call it for what it is, gossip. Um, gossip can go from, did you hear about, to character assassination in a New York minute. I don't know what a New York minute is, but it can go that fast. Um, oftentimes, when we, we slander people or we talk about people, let me tell you something. When you, when you hear someone talking about someone, you need to shut them down or walk away. Or And you say, well, how do I do that? Well, if they're talking about someone, say, hey, let me call them on the phone, or let's get them here so, so we can air this out. And, and it's funny, because people don't like that. And they're like, well, well, no, no, we don't have to do that. I'm, I'm okay perfectly talking about them when they're not here, right? And I think Paul understood something here. And, and I, hey, I don't want you guys to throw books at me here or, or your shoes or whatever you got. But I think Paul understood something. Maybe, okay. Maybe as women get older and kids move out and they have a little bit more idle time, maybe they're prone to gossip and slander. I'm not, hey, if I'm not calling you out. I'm not saying that. But I think sometimes, I think it can happen with men too. Okay, I'm not, I'm not pointing out. It's subtle and it gets into our lives and it can creep into our lives so easily. And there's been times where I've been part of gossip and I've been part of slander and I walked away and thought, I failed. I failed there. I messed up. And I, I shouldn't have done that. And and I hate slander. And I've done it and I've heard it. And 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 remember, man, the, the way you shut that down is is say, well, let's call so and so right now. Or let's let's bring them here. Or how about let's just have a lunch and I'll just sit there and watch you two talk about it. Or go, I'm not gonna do that. They're not here right now. And you shouldn't do it either. And then walk away. Um, it's why people hide. I, you know, it's crazy to me. <laughs> it's crazy to me. People hide behind their phones on social media to slander people all the time. Well, this is what I think about you. Blah, 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 you know. Or they'll write letters or emails of discontent instead of meeting with someone face to face and saying, oh, this is, this is my struggle right here. We've lost something. In this world, everybody's got a voice, right? Everyone's got a voice. Um, but we got to be careful. Older women with sound doctrine know not to categorize people or stereotype people. But look, the, the, the last portion of that scripture says they teach good things to, the, to those underneath them. They uh, Like the following. Here's verse 4 is what it says. And so, look at this. Older women, here, here's, your, here's your job. And so train the young women to love their husband and children to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind, and submissive on their, uh, to their own husbands. Um, some of you say, I'm old, I'm past my prime. Um, I don't know if I can do that. To the contrary here, uh, this is telling us that if you're an older, effective Christian, a mature saint, uh, you can benefit the body of Christ by speaking into someone younger than you. Your job's not done. Oh, I'm in my retirement years. Oh, no. <laughs> Your work has just begun. And most of us, uh, think about this. Most of us learned uh, 
the way that we are, the way that we pray, the way that we love people was modeled by someone, and we picked up on it. And who's to say that someone's not watching you and not wanting to model after you? And I, I just say this with, with just be an example. Everyone look at your neighbor say, be an example. I was thinking about uh, uh, Tristan's grandma, Grandma Bledsoe. Um, she was super instrumental in my life's uh in my life's, in my wife's life, in my life's wife, no, in my wife's life, uh, when she, when we had our kids and, and they were young and I, I was working and I, I remember my wife constantly just being in contact with her grandma there in town and, and going and asking her questions and saying, hey, can you help me with this? And she was the epitome of a great role model for my wife. She taught her things. She showed her things. She said, hey, listen, I'm going to show you how I make my enchiladas. I'm going to come and invest some time into you. I'm going to show you how you can rock this baby. Can't get that baby to stop crying? I'm going to show you. I'm going to help you. And I remember when we moved to, uh, from California to Texas, our first house in Texas was interesting. It was. And we went from a pretty nice house to a different, just a house, okay? I don't know. I'll just leave it at that. And I remember we walked in and this house, and there was... One bathroom, just one, just one bathroom, and, and it was small, and the kitchen ran into the dining room and the living room, and everything was just, and, and I remember my wife walking in and kind of going, what have we done, you know, kind of, kind of thing, and I remember her grandma, who, who so graciously came with us and helped us move, grabbing her and just saying, Tristan, it's going to be all right. And she began to invest, and she began to help us clean and get things right. Listen, it can be as simple as that. Be an investment into a, 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 young, a young mom or a young lady's life. Here's the next portion. It says, self-controlled and pure. Again, not flying off the handle, level-headed, meekness. Same thing goes for you, ladies. Meekness, strength under control. Let your motives be pure in what you do. Try to manip manipulate situations. Don't, don't try to manipulate your husband or this or kids to get your way or what. Just, just be pure in your motives. Look at this. Working at home. Now, you say, oh, TJ, is this saying that, that all women should work at home and not have careers? No, I'm not, I'm not saying that's what, what it's saying. But, uh, but the priority and the emphasis is to create a stable home. And that's important. And that's important to the kingdom of God. So look at this. Most kids hear about Jesus from their moms. Most kids learn Jesus loves me from their moms. And, and I, I begin to think about that. And, and I know, I know there's society and, and it has, we, you know, you can say, hey, we've, we've created these roles and, and, and different things. But I think there's something foundational about moms in a home that's important. I'm not saying you can't have a career, but I'm just saying don't neglect your home. In the process of, of trying to have a career. Uh, then, and then it says, submissive. Submissive to your husband. I love this scripture. I'm going to get this made on a, on, a, on, a, on a frame and hang in our house. <laughs> I'm joking. Guys, underline that in your Bible. All right. Uh, before you do that, before you underline it in your Bible, um, a submissive wife, wife does not mean that she does not have a voice. 
Amen. Matter of fact, men, remember, uh, the scripture tells us that, that uh, we have to love our wives like Christ loves the church. That's a big bill to fill. I mean, it's a huge, unconditionally, long-suffering, and understanding with grace. How many are thankful for God's grace on your life? Hey, men, you ought to walk in grace for your wife. You ought to give her grace. When she's having a bad day and you come home and you see she's having a bad day, you ought to grab the laundry, throw it in the washing machine for her. You can fold it, but she'll refold it. In my case, that's the way it works. She always tells me I fold the towels wrong, right? You can either do it in threes or the big squares. I always do the big squares because I don't know what I'm doing. It's wrong, right? <laughs> but my wife always, she's all, when I do something like that, she's like, thank you for doing this. Even though I messed it up, I didn't get it right. But, but guys, we, we've got to love our wives unconditionally with long-suffering, understanding with grace. I love that. It's not just, I'm the man of the house, I get my way. It's, what, it's, 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 it's my decision and no one else's. But listen, you've got you to open up your heart. Let me tell you something. You think Jesus listens to his bride? You think Jesus wants to react to the, the bride of Christ or the church? He listens to our prayers. And, and sometimes, you know what? Sometimes that's really all your wife needs is a listening ear. So submission, and, and, and submission, and I've said this many times, submission is voluntary. And when we submit under authority, we fall under the hedge of protection. Now, that's tough for some people to understand, but I can tell you this. As a, as a pastor, when I served as a youth pastor, when I served as an associate pastor, when I, when I submitted to the authority of my pastor, there was a hedge of protection around me. Sometimes I didn't understand that hedge of protection, but I can tell you there were things that, I, that my pastor helped protect me from that I didn't even realize at times. And that's the way that God has ordered it. And, and men, you ought to be that hedge of protection over your wife. Not to, not to say, hey, you can't be included, you can't make decisions, you can't. That's not what it's about. It's to protect her. And so, uh, and here's the thing, and I believe, and this is a biblical model for, for older men and older women to follow for younger believers. And, and, and I believe that we have, we have got away from this, and we need to reemphasize this from, from some of our older crowd again. The next part of that scripture says that the word of God may not be uh, uh, reviled, or the King James Version says blasphemed instead of reviled. And, and we do these things because... When we, uh, when, we don't, when we don't do those things, you know what we're doing? We're insulting the word of God. Have you ever thought about when you don't follow the word of God, you're insulting the word of God? How many feel insulted when your kids don't do what you ask them to do? You've insulted me. You did not do what I told you to do, right? I can't help but think that oftentimes in our lives, when God's asked us to do something that's specific in his word, written word right here and we know we should do it and we don't do it you know what we're just disrespecting the lord and his word how many times my actions or lack of actions insulted have insulted the word of god verse six says this likewise urge the younger men to be self-controlled verse seven remember paul's just writing this to titus show yourself in all respect to be a model of good works young men 
should pursue the character qualities that older men should possess already. That's it. Be an example. Be an example. You know what? Older men, there are younger guys watching you. You know what? You ought to mentor. You ought to find a young man here, and you ought to mentor him. You ought to build a relationship. What does that mean? Hey, take him to lunch sometime. If you invite him to lunch and you pay for it, they'll show up. I promise. I will. And we need God, more godly mo- uh, role models for our, our younger generation. I, and when I say younger generation, it could be teenagers, but I, I'm talking, and, and, you know, even young families and, and people in their 30s. Young, young men shouldn't just tell others what they, they should or shouldn't do. They should be doing it, but rather are to be a pattern for others. That's what he's saying here in Titus. He's urging the young men to, to do this. He's saying, hey, you ought to be a pattern. Good works through patterns. I'm going to show you something. In Exodus chapter 25, verse 9, God told Moses to make all things according to the pattern regarding the construction of the tabernacle. So God had a pattern and God had an order. So look at this. Young men, young men, all of my young men, if you're under 50, all my young men, everyone's like, everyone looked up, you know. Uh, You should pattern your life after the one who lived and tabernacled among us. That's Jesus Christ. We say we want to be like Jesus, but that means we have to pattern our lives after Jesus. Show love when we don't want to show love. Be patient when we don't want to be patient. Be kind when we don't want to be kind. Speak truth when we don't want to speak truth. I, when I was growing up, there was this thing that was around everywhere, and there was a saying, what would Jesus do? It's so relevant to us. And you, you find yourself, hey, is this right? Is this wrong? Think about it. What, what would Jesus do? And if, if it's not a pattern or if it's not something that Jesus did, don't do that thing. <laughs> um, and let me ask you this. This is, a, this is a tough question. Is your life worth patterning after? It's a good question to ask ourselves. And I think it's a good evaluation. We, we can look at it. And I, think, I think all of us got a little ways to go. But, but you know, we, 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 we got to look and we have to be real with ourselves. We have to be honest with the Lord and say, Lord, I need some help in this area. And in your teaching, show integrity and dignity. Have integrity and dignity in your teaching. And uh, another old term is uh, without wax. Anybody ever heard that, without wax? Uh, no? Okay. Maybe, maybe just me. But uh, integrity, you know, is doing, doing what is right. Standing with dignity when, you, when you've done everything to the best of your ability. If, you, if the best of your ability is a C plus, you, you take that C plus with dignity. Right? There's nothing wrong with that. So, so the old term here is without wax. And in, in the time where, where people would sculpt, uh, they, would, they would sculpt sculptures and, and they would do statues in the practice of chiseling out statues. And they would, they would go through there and if they were chiseling, and they just chiseled a little bit too much, and they might have taken off the statue's ear, just a little bit of his ear, or they knocked the statue's nose off. What they would do, uh, rather than just restarting, because that'd be a whole lot of work to re-chisel all that out, what they would do is they would take some wax, and then they would take whatever little piece they broke off, and they would put wax back on and put the nose back on, put the ear back on. And then they would sell that piece to a buyer, and that buyer unknowingly wouldn't know that there was wax 
where there were, had been something broken, and they would set that piece of uh, statue out on their patio, and the heat of the sun would melt the wax, leading to the nose falling off or the ear dropping off. And that's what it's alluding to is a lack of integrity there, not doing what is right. Don't, don't just teach it, but live it. Show it with integrity. Don't talk about it and then not do it. Verse 8 says this, in sound speech that cannot be condemned so that uh, an opponent may be put to shame having nothing evil to say about us. Sound doctrine, which leads to good works for young men, is that they live in such a way that those who are eager to put them down uh, or put down Christianity can't. You know why? There's nothing bad to say about them. I want to be mad at that person, but, but they're not lashing out and they're not doing the things that uh, they live in such a way that they cannot find anything against you. You know, the greatest example of that is Jesus Christ. You remember when he was on trial and, and they were working on trying to, to, uh, to get something against him. And, 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 and you remember Pilate, and he's, he's there and he's like, he's like, I don't know what you guys want to charge of this man. Matter of fact, you remember he washed his hands because he's like, this is, this is not right. I don't feel right about this. He, he struggled to do that. And then, you know, you remember there was Barabbas and Jesus, and they gave him the option to free one and take the other. And, and, uh, and they couldn't find anything wrong. Now, I know we're not perfect. Never look at your neighbor and say, you're not perfect. And we make mistakes. But listen, we ought to live a life to the best of our ability to be blameless. What does that mean? Oh. Cut your cart back in the parking lot. Ah, well, you know, I don't have time to do it. Oh, I'll take you just a few seconds. Just be blameless. That way when someone sees you, they're like, I see that person. They always put their carts back. Look at this. Verse 9 says this. All right, that, that hit all the walls. That's okay. Verse 9 says this. Bond servants are to be submissive to their own masters in everything. And so... We, we hear servants today, and we start to panic, right? We start, oh, bond servants. Um, and, and God has called us all to serve, right? Every one of us, he's called you to serve. Another, another way to look at this is to be, oh, ooh, here we go, submissive to your boss. Well, you had me till we got there, TJ. Now, listen, to be submissive to your boss doesn't mean that you're just a pushover. And that, that you, that, you know, there's times where you may need to stand, stand your ground, but you need to do it in love, and you, but don't do it combatively, right? Uh, but maybe sometimes our actions at work could make us a peacemaker. So sometimes we say, oh, I went to church yesterday, and then we get in an argument with our boss because we don't want to work a little extra or something. Look at this. It says this, they are to be well-pleasing, not argumentative, not uh, pilfering. But showing all good faith. The word of God is so applicable today and relevant for 2021. Still, as believers, we shouldn't talk back. Okay? Or steal from our employers in either time nor money. I know that's tough. I've worked a job and I've kept time cards and I've been clocked in and I've and I've been tempted to round my time up. I've been tempted to not add time and do those things. Let me tell you something. It's not 
it's not fair to your employer. And let me tell you something, you, you're killing your witness. Killing your witness. But God's, in God's grace, he's helped me and he's kept me and helped me to get back in, in integrity. So in the next portion of scripture says, so that in everything that they may uh, adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. By serving well and being obedient to our employer at times and, and doing our best, your salvation will be attractive to a boss who may not be a believer. I don't know. This is tough. We are representing Jesus 24-7, 365 days a year. It's, it's what we're doing. And so, uh, uh, and I believe um, the last, the, the first 10 verses of this are pattern for us to follow as a church, okay? I believe that. Um, we are to be training and we are to be trained. You're either training or you're being trained, all right? Um, training older men, older women by living and being an example of excellence for young men and women in the faith. Don't do it in a condemning way, but do it in a way of guidance. What about this? The second flip side of that, being trained. Young men and women, you have a wealth of spiritual guidance and direction from a generation before you and a generation before them that can keep you out of a lot of tough spots if you'll just open your ears. Don't be so prideful to take counsel and direction from them. How many have ever been prideful taking direction from your parents? I'm learning. My mom and dad, way smarter than I ever gave them credit for. God didn't design us to, uh, um, to just be and just to exist. We should either learn to listen and learn, learn from those who have went before us. And here's a good question. Are you, are you being trained or are you training? Because you should be in one and two camps there. All right. Here, in the, next, the next portion of this, the last six verses, and I'll, 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 I won't rush, but we'll get through this. Um, if you need a heading here, this, this last six verses is trained by grace. Everyone say trained by grace. Verse 11 says this, for, gra for the grace of God, and let me stop real fast. The last ten verses, we went through all that. And it's all going to come together here in the, in the next few verses, okay? It's all going to pull together. Verse 11 says this, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. Everyone say amen. Verse, uh, verse 12 says, Training us to, be, to renounce ungodliness and worldly passion and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. The word of God is relevant in 2021. It says this, and to break that down, if a person has truly uh, uh, chosen to accept the free gift of salvation, listen, you know when, you, when you've had a real encounter with the Lord, uh, intuitively, uh, innately, and immediately, that you need to live a life that is righteous before the Lord. You may not know all the details about that, but when you get up, you get up from the altar or wherever you got saved, you knew, I need to follow the that heaviness that was on me, that sin is gone. I need to follow the Lord in all that I do. And the next verse tells us how, verse 13. All right, you ready for this? I, this, is, this, is the poem, this is what it all comes up to right here. Waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. You want to know what our hope is? Jesus Christ returning. That's our hope. That's our blessed hope. 
in a world that's falling apart, and, and you can focus on all of the negatives you want, you have the hope of Jesus Christ. I love that. And if you, if you really believe Jesus is coming soon, listen to this. If you really believe that Jesus is coming soon, it will affect all that you do. Everything that you do. I remember my great-grandmother, my mom's grandma, uh, my great-grandmother. I don't know why I'm talking about grandmas tonight. But my great-grandmother, uh, Grandma Reed is what we called her. And when we were little, we knew that if we got taller than Grandma Reed, that we were, we were adulthood, basically. Because she was four foot ten. And she stood about this tall. And, and, I mean, and she was just a precious saint and loved the Lord dearly. And I remember we went to the, the Reed family reunion, and they asked Grandma, because she was the matriarch of the family, they said, will you pray over the meal? And I kid you not, she began to pray over fried chicken like I've never heard anybody pray over fried chicken. And she began to pray. And as she prayed, because she was a prayer warrior, she began to just pray. And I remember looking around, and I remember feeling the Holy Spirit begin. And I remember looking around at people there, people that were not saved, tears running down their cheeks. Because she had, she had this hope that Jesus Christ was coming back. And that was her goal. And I remember one time hearing the story that, that she was supposed to speak at a church, and she was... She was a little firecracker, and, and they asked her to speak, and they did this thing called a preacher killing. I'll, I'll, let me explain that, okay? They weren't killing preachers. But basically, they would, they would ask like three or four people to speak on a particular topic for like five minutes, and that's all you had was just like five minutes. And so they gave her this particular topic, and when it was her time to get up there and speak, she got up there, and she said, they asked me to speak on, I don't remember what it was. She goes, I don't want to talk about that. I want to talk about heaven and the second coming of Jesus Christ, and she just went on. I can't help but think that that urgency that Grandma Reed had is the urgency that God is looking for, for us. The blessed hope of Jesus Christ's return. I don't know about you, I get excited about it. And as the church in America particularly, I think we've lost the urgency of the blessed hope of Jesus' return. Verse 14 says this, who gave himself for us to redeem us all from the lawlessness and to purify for himself, a people for his own possession. The King James Version here reads, he's purifying a people who are peculiar. And peculiar here, that's a hard word to say, peculiar. It's hard for me to say. Um, here doesn't mean odd, O-D-D. It doesn't mean uh, odd. Oftentimes we think of peculiar, you think, oh, you're weird. How many know some peculiar people? I live out in Williams. There's some peculiar people out there. I'm one of them. All right, ODD. Although some some of us, uh, we may fit that mold, but God uh, God, it, God makes all kinds and it takes all kinds. That's what I love. Uh, God loves everybody. And some of us are odd and some of us are not. And if you don't know which one you are, you're probably on the odd side. All right. So peculiar means this. It doesn't mean ODD, odd. It means odd, A-W-E-D. Everyone say odd, in awe of the Lord. Peculiar people. Oh, we're in awe of you, Lord. You've done so much for us. We don't deserve your grace. You've been so kind to us that the people will be in awe of how you, how you hold it. People will look at your life and they'll see you and they'll say, oh, 
how are you holding it together right now? How, how do you have such a sure foundation under you? When everyone else is panicking, you're just remaining peaceful because you know who you are. While everyone else is gossiping, you're being gracious. While everyone else is bitter, you're, you're doing better. Last portion of that says, who are zealous for good works, declare these things, exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no one disregard you. Um, how many at times uh, know that sometimes telling the truth is tough? Sometimes it's hard to tell the truth. When someone's older than you, let's say you, you work a job and someone has worked at that job longer than you, but you're in charge of them. Sometimes it's hard to tell someone who's been at a job longer than you the truth and what they need to hear, right? And so here is this young minister, Titus, and he's ministering to people uh, there. And, and, and I think Paul's just admonishing him. And he's saying, hey, stick with it. No matter if they're old, no matter if they're young, you just always speak the truth. And it may not always be easy, but if you're a boss or you're a teacher or you're a parent or you're a coach or you're a Bible teacher, there are times that you just got to speak the truth. Sometimes you just got to tell it like it is. You remember Jeremiah, the weeping prophet, right? He was given one of the hardest ministry assignments, I think, in Scripture. I, I really do. I believe, uh, you know, Jonah, he, a lot of people say, oh, Jonah had a tough assignment. Jonah had one of the greatest revivals in the Old Testament, and, and the whole city turned to God. He got all upset. But look at this. Jeremiah, he preached his whole life. Not one repentance. Talk about wanting to give up. Talk about wanting to quit. But as a young man, Jeremiah, he begins to argue with God. About the age of 17, most, most scholars believe uh, that, he, that he's arguing with God. He's saying, I'm too young. I'm too young to do this, and, I'm, and I don't have the words to speak, and I can't do it. And in the previous verses, uh, uh, the Lord had told Jeremiah that he had formed him and that he knew him in his mother's womb and that he, God had set him apart. Remember, he is holy and he had appointed him to be a prophet to the nations. But look at this, Jeremiah 1, verse 7 through 10 says this, But the Lord said to me, Don't say I am only a youth, for to all, uh, for to, all to whom I send you, you shall go, and whatever I command you, you shall speak. Do not be afraid of them. For I am with you to deliver you. Sometimes I come into the church and I'm afraid of your faces. And I have to be reminded of this verse. Do not be afraid of them because I am with you. I declares the Lord. Then verse 9 says this. Then the Lord put on his hand, uh, put, put on his hand and touched my mouth. And the Lord said to me, behold, I have put my words in your mouth. Verse 10. See, I have set you this day over nations, over kingdoms to pluck up to break down, to destroy, to overthrow, to build, and to plant. What a great word given over Jeremiah's life right there. God set him straight there in verse 10, and it's important to us. But listen, listen, here's the application here. Here's the application. I said all that to say this. Parents, grandparents, leaders, coaches, teachers, sometimes you've got to pluck up and break down and destroy in order to build back up. When you go into the military, they break you down to build you back up. So here's a recap of what we've, what we've talked about. We're called, we're all called to, to train or to be trained. Age 
listen, listen to me. Age is not something to hide behind. God will use whoever he wants whenever he wants. If you're willing and your heart's open, he, he's not looking for a number, a particular age. He's looking for a submitted heart. I told a bunch of junior hires in Missouri when I spoke at that camp, I said, age is just a number. I said, age is just a number to God. God's not interested in your age. He's not interested. You know, I don't care if you're 11, 12 years old. If you'll submit your heart to God, he can do great things through you. He called, you know, he called a young king at eight years old. He called Jeremiah at 17. He used David to fight Goliath when all the adults were cowards. Age doesn't matter to God. He's looking for a submitted heart. Oh, you say, oh, I'm on the other end of that spectrum. Oh, I'll just, just Caleb Joshua. So age is just a number. So, and, and we need to understand it's not something that we should hide behind, but we should say, hey, God, I want to be actively doing something for the kingdom of God. Look at this. Sound doctrine leads to good works and right living. And here's the last one. We are to be looking for the blessed hope of Jesus Christ's return. And listen, we need to speak in truth and love in all that we do. Let's bow our heads. God, I thank you for this day. God, thank you for your word. God, thank you for this impactful word. God, I pray, Lord, that, it, that seeds would be planted in hearts tonight. God, that lives would be changed. Lord, that you would just uh, let this soak into our spirit. God, and maybe we've been on the sidelines. God, I pray, Lord, that you would move us to the front lines. God, maybe we've, we've, we've sidelined ourselves saying, I'm, I'm too old or I'm too young or I'm too whatever, fill in the blank. But God, I pray, Lord, that you would give us the fortitude to stand and to move to the direction that you want for us. God, I ask, Lord, that you would just uh, give us strength in all that we do. God, help us to train the next generation in love. And God, I just, uh, just touch our city right now, God, and touch our people. God, thank you for everyone that's come tonight. God, I pray, Lord, that you just send a special blessing to those who are here tonight. God, not that we don't want to bless and love on other people, but God, I pray, Lord, that you would give strength to those who are here in body. God, Lord, that you would move and minister. God, keep us safe. Put your hedge of protection around us for the next time that we meet. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless you.